Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. In 2020, up to 3.4 billion face masks were thrown away every day. What are your thoughts on that? So who could have imagined that two years ago, single-use plastic face masks would become a household item? And unfortunately, they've become a huge litter item at the same time. Uh, and Clean Up Australia has been working with the Australian community for 33 years. So it was founded by my father, Ian Kiernan, back in 1989. And that was um, started, he was actually a solo yachtsman and a builder by trade. And he was participating in a solo race called the BOC Challenge. And he ended up in the Sargasso Sea, which is meant to be one of the most pristine parts of the world. It's known for its really clear blue waters and its Sargassum seaweed. Um, and it's the breeding ground for many species. Uh, but when Dad got there uh, in 1987, it was so heavily polluted and such a symbol of mankind's waste and destruction. He was horrified. I mean, predominantly plastic waste. And he completed the race. He, he was actually very angry about what he'd seen, and but a very practical guy came back to Sydney uh, where he lived and decided that he'd start in his own backyard. And he started Clean Up Sydney Harbour in 1989. And he was calling around to his sailing mates the night before, hoping a few of them would turn up. And 40,000 Sydney siders turned up for that first event. Um, and really just a symbol of, you know, he tapped into the sentiment at the time that we were very frustrated by what we were doing to our environment. And dad gave this incredible mechanism that well, each of us can do something very practical. Uh, so the following year, it became a national campaign, uh, Clean Up Australia Day. And uh, 32 years later, we're still running Clean Up Australia Day. And it's not just that day, that week of action. So it's the first Sunday of March, Clean Up Australia Day. Uh, and the Friday prior is Schools Clean Up Day. And um, the Tuesday prior is Business Clean Up Day. So we have each year we have uh, around a million volunteers get involved in Clean Up Australia Day. Half of them, around half of them are in that week of action. But our work continues all through the year. We help communities to clean up um, their local communities all through the year. And over, over those 33 years, you know, our work has evolved to not just be about cleaning up, but to going, going to the source and tackling our waste issues. So working with government, working with businesses and trying to bring about that change that we need to, to uh, prevent waste at the source. Of the 40,000 people who first showed up, were they from all cross sections of society? Was it just like, was it a cross section? Were you surprised or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, part of the beauty of Clean Up Australia is that it does, it, it's right across the nation. It is right across all groups, all ages, you know, whether you're, um, you know, your English is your second language and you've newly arrived in Australia. It's just, it's become part of what it is to be Australian. You know, we all take part in a Clean Up event. I think probably that first event, you know, it was around Sydney Harbour. It tended to be more people living um, closer to the harbour, but, you know, it was 40,000 people. So it did draw, it did draw from far and wide. Uh, but part of why it has endured for so long is that it, 
you know, it, it belongs to the community. It, it, it's you decide where you clean up. We're not telling you what to do. We just help you to do it. So who are you and what part do you play? <laughs> so I'm Pip Kiernan. I am the daughter of Ian Kiernan, who founded the organisation back in 1989. And I'm his youngest daughter. And uh, I, I've always been involved with the organisation Cleaning Up with Dad, but it wasn't until 2018 when he got uh, sick that I got involved. So I stepped in um, to take his place on the board when he wasn't well. And unfortunately, we had not done succession planning well, Andy, in, in our um, family and, and in the cleanup organisation. It had always been his great wish that um, one of his kids would get involved, but we hadn't had those um, conversations. We thought he'd just go on forever and uh, we hadn't we hadn't done some good planning around that. So unfortunately, when he became unwell, it was it was very rapid. So it was six weeks from when he was um, diagnosed until when he died. So, you know, as I said to someone uh, just last week, you know, often our biggest career challenges happen in times of adversity. And it's when we least feel like stepping up and least feel equipped to be able to, to step in um, and, and lead, but I just knew how much the organisation meant to me. It had been, you know, my father's greatest life's work and this incredible community cause that so, you know, and it is as much about bringing community together as it is about removing litter from the community. And we saw that, you know, through the bushfires a couple of years ago when, you know, these communities that we thought had been ravaged by bushfire, they still stepped up and, and ran their events and came out in droves because they wanted to feel useful and they wanted to be side by side rallying together in this, this common cause. So, you know, it's as whether you live in the city or the country or, you know, whatever um, small community you're in, it, it's just this wonderful um, community activity where you feel like you're making a difference. Um, you choose where you do it and um, and it's it brings people together. So that's really the power of, of Clean Up Australia and, and I, I just love being involved with it. You know, I, I got involved um, those four years ago and it was really the very best um, decision I've ever made in my career to to step in. So yes, I'm very proud to be continuing my father's wonderful work. So you had a very, I guess, traumatic and sad six weeks, and then you found yourself basically leading this organisation. Like, what? What did you do on the very first day? Like, what what does a person do? <laughs> well, we well we have an amazing CEO. So I, I stepped in as chair. So I um yeah. What was so, the first meeting like? What was it like? <laughs> the first meeting, I guess it was. Well, some of the first things I did was um, pull together a new board of of really um, smart people that I trust and. And rely on and they've just been amazing uh, and then we you know when when your cause is is good and you really believe in it it's amazing the people that come forward to help you so you know we had um, I had some great advice from Deloitte who did some pro bono work for us around strategy and um, even before they started that work they said look you need to have that conversation at board level about, you know, the founders died. This is a, a very 
um, you know, pivotal moment for the organisation. Have a conversation at the board level before we even start working with you about what does the organisation stand for? What are the fundamentals? Have they changed? And that was an incredibly powerful conversation and it actually wasn't a very complicated one because the, the founding principles that Dad um, led the organisation with still ring true today. So that is that it's a grassroots organisation that belongs to the community. Its power is in this incredible volunteer effort. Um, it's it's nonpartisan. So we work with the government of the day. We're not we're not political. Uh, we are we are pro business. We we need business. We work with business. We work with like minded businesses that can help us um, bring about change. Uh, so you know these these fundamentals haven't haven't changed um, from when Dad started that work 33 years ago. I mean obviously we're evolving and um, keeping up with. Uh, the changes that are happening in the world we live in. But, you know, I think those those fundamentals are why it has endured and why it will continue to endure. So recently it was the face masks was the worst rubbish, so to speak. But what in general would you consider to be the worst culprit or what's, what is the worst rubbish? So we've been tracking that. Um, trend over the years. So this year is our 31st year of um, publishing our annual rubbish report. And that's a snapshot of what our volunteers have collected in their efforts through the year. Uh, and sadly, that trend has been plastics. Uh, so plastics are, are have grown year on year and are the largest problem. Um, cigarette butts are still the single most collected items. So we, we categorise um, what, what our volunteers collect. It's a snapshot of what they've collected. So we categorise it into the top items, um, the top categories. So for instance, beverage containers um, and also uh, the top types of materials. So plastic, glass and metal. And in terms of those categories, we, we will change those over time to reflect what our volunteers are telling us. So beverage containers, you know, um, continue to be a big item in areas where container deposit scheme, that's your 10 cent refund scheme, is newly um, implemented. Um, so in those locations where it's new, we find our volunteers are still finding a lot of those sort of items in places like South Australia, where they've had a scheme in place for many, many years. Uh, there's not as many of those items found in their efforts. We're also now tracking things like soft plastics because that's a big growing item. There's more and more of those being used and uh, in turn more being found in the environment. So the rubbish report's an amazing tool, but we've also done something different this year to reflect what's happening with pandemic waste. So with the rubbish report, we find about 10% of our um, surveyed sites will, will go through that process. It's quite quite a lengthy process. You have to um, go through the bags of collected rubbish and um, divide it into the various categories of items found, tally that up and share that with us. So this year to um, help people do it quickly and try and capture a snapshot of just how much pandemic waste, things like masks, coffee cups, takeaway food packaging, um, and other items like um, single-use water bottles and things like that. We've done a shorter version of this um, report that can be done 
online. It's called our Citizen Science Project and we're hoping to uh, collate that at the end of the year. Uh, but some interesting changes in the trends of of rubbish that we've seen in the last couple of years as well. Uh, you know, not only the pandemic um, single use items surging, but the emergence of things like vapes and nangs and, and these, you know, our habits have, have changed. And these are items that are really troublesome for the environment. Um, you know, they're, they've got their electronic waste effectively. I mean, an electronic cigarette has got um, a battery in it. It's got, you know, hard plastic, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to um, dispose of. What kind of impact does it make when you publish reports and you obviously have social media there and you've got images of this waste coming out and then a company sees their logo on the waste? How does, what kind of effect does that have on the company? Mm. Well, I, I mean, it, it's a good point. I think that we're seeing now a huge groundswell of change in terms of the community sentiment and, and this desire for us to do things better and to be better custodians of the environment. So I think when my father started out, uh, you know, he, he was ahead of his time in so many ways. He predicted that plastic waste would be one of the biggest environmental challenges of this generation. Um, he was he was drawing attention to these topics when we weren't they they weren't part of the consciousness like they are now. And I think brands are being there's a lot of pressure on them to to do things better. But unfortunately, change takes time. And I, I think you know if we've lived through a pandemic, for instance, and some of our better habits uh, sort of went out the window through through that process. You know, we reverted back to using more single-use items like the sanitised wipes and and the single-use masks and the um, takeaway food containers. You know, we couldn't our coffee cup, for instance. A lot of cafes weren't taking the reusable coffee cup, and th those habits are hard to reset once um, we've reverted back to to less environmentally friendly ways. But Back to that point of putting pressure on the brands, I think that that is that groundswell won't won't stop. We it's, it's this realization, particularly with the younger generation, that we can't keep taking these resources, um, using them once and tossing them away. And you know, my father talked about this idea of a circular economy 30 plus years ago, and we're seeing. Uh, a great move towards that and some really great investment and change towards making that a reality. So when I talk about a circular economy, I'm, I'm talking about that difference between a linear approach where you design a product to be used once, use it, toss it away, haven't thought about what happens to those materials at the end of their life, like a cigarette butt, for instance, or a single-use face mask. Um, a circular economy approach looks at the design of that product at the outset um, designing it for its end of use, end of life use as well. So once that product has had a good life and been reused as often as it can, how do we capture those materials and turn them into a new product? Um, so there's a great example of some investment that's gone into that um, with, the, with a facility that's just opened last month in Albury. Um, and that's a consortium between a number of businesses uh, showing that real circular approach. So it's um, clean away the organisation that captures the um, containers from the container deposit scheme. 
uh, and then it's um, with packed packaging who reprocess those into back into pellets um, and then it's uh, turn and turn them back into the containers, uh, you know, the food containers or plastic water bottles. And then they're then purchased by Asahi and Coca-Cola um, to, to make new drink containers, to be new drink containers. So we need more of that sort of investment and more of that sort of design thinking at the outset. Um, and part of that is not just the design of the product, but the labelling of the product so that as consumers, we know that when we're walking down the supermarket aisle, that in fact, that item, I can make a choice based on what happens to that packaging at the end of its life. Is it just designed to look pretty and it has to go into landfill or is it thoughtfully designed from recycled plastic captured in Australia um, and returned into, turned into new packaging within Australia? Um, and that's the sort of shift we're seeing and we need to see more of that and, and some good supportive moves um, towards it in terms of we're not shipping waste, certain waste items offshore now. So things like tyres and certain plastics and paper and cardboard need to be recycled here in Australia. And Australians want to see that. We don't want to see us, um, you know, creating more waste than we can deal with and then just shipping it off so that it's a problem to another country and where it may not be um, dealt with responsibly either. So, um, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that that we are on on a path to some some great advancements. Who do you still think needs to be convinced? Like, for example, you know, I've had conversations with people, you know, uh, recycling yeah i put my rubbish into the recycling bin but i don't believe that it goes and gets recycled you mentioned there about the pallets and so on and like who do you who still needs to be convinced or does everybody understand it or do we do we ignore it what no no we're very confused i i think there's a need for greater education and understanding i think um part of the the challenge with achieving that is this idea of standardisation across the country of our rubbish bins. So at the moment, we you can have, you know, even in New South Wales, you can move through different suburbs and areas and there's a totally different bin for a different material. Um, you know, you might have a purple bin that means something somewhere and a yellow bin that means something somewhere else. So how can you have an education campaign when we don't have standardised bins? And the technical term for that is bin harmonisation um, is how they refer to it. So we need bin harmonisation, Andy. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that um, the government has said will be, bring, be bringing into effect is this idea of food and organics bins. Um, so 40% of what goes into the household rubbish bin is now food. It's just phenomenal. That, that when that ends up in landfill where it doesn't belong, it um, emits methane and, and it's, it just doesn't, it's a resource. It doesn't belong in the in landfill. Uh, so if we can get a, a, a food and organics bin where we capture that and process that and turn it back into fertiliser, again, we're coming back to that idea of a circular economy. There's, there's a connection between when you can prove something with logic. So for example, if you can, if you know that you're taking, you're finding these amount of face masks in the water or you're finding these, this amount of, um, uh, I, I guess, plastic bottles or whatever, then you can use that information to lobby. So I guess that's that's 
from our perspective, the science aspect is the proof, right? So you mentioned that you have a document that you guys produce. How is what you do contributing or uh, um, I guess, how is it science? It's contributing because it's, it's from the source. So it's our volunteers telling us what they're collecting and capturing that and sharing that with us. And we've shared that information over the past 31 years. We've been collating this report with um, the likes of the CSIRO. We share the raw data, non, non-attributed raw data, and also with federal and state government. So, you know, that's powerful information. It's coming from across, you know, we're a national organisation. So we have volunteers across the country, you know, over that um, over the 33 years of community action, we've had 20 million volunteers volunteering, close to 40 million volunteer hours um, cleaning up. So, you know, we've got a lot of data and that data has been put to good use. And we, we feel very strongly that um, we don't charge for that that data that's shared freely um, with those bodies that can make good use of it. And we put it into a useful report so that uh, those incredible volunteers who who make our work possible can also see the impact of their effort. Does it make a difference when you when uh, I guess the government or a politician or whatever is confronted with the data? Does that make a difference? It does make a difference. And when we speak to government, when we're, we're trying to advocate for change, you know, recently with um, the phase out of single-use plastic, so that's that's coming into effect across the country in, in a staggered approach, depending on the state and territory. You know, we used our data to help um, to help with that argument that, you know, these are the items we're seeing in the environment uh, and these are the sorts of uh, volumes we're seeing them in and we need to do something about it. So, you know, if you look at um, plastic bags, for instance, that was before I became involved in the organisation, but my father was very much involved in the phase out of, um, you know, those single-use plastic bags. And again, in advocating for container deposit legislation. So that took many years of um, of advocacy to bring that about. We're now seeing uh, the last territory, Tasmania, just... Um, just uh, approved that legislation, so we'll see the whole country will will have a container deposit scheme in place, which is is just phenomenal because we do know through our rubbish report statistics that where we have a container deposit scheme in place, these items um, we find less of them as litter. So if you put a value on that item, less of it ends up as litter. So once I, I've noticed that actually personally, when I was in New York one time, I saw these guys, these homeless guys walking around with large, basically large plastic bags over their shoulders, and they were collecting all of the cans, you know, like the 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 from the bins. And I was like, how how little rubbish is actually in New York? Because they actually can collect all of these cans and bring them and get them weighed and get money for them. Which I once you, I guess that point of making something valuable once there's a valuable once there's a value in it, then it's less likely to get put in the bin. Absolutely, and and actually, Andy, that goes back to what Dad was talking about all those thirty three years ago. I mean, all through my childhood, I remember him talking about there shouldn't be any such thing as waste. We need to think of it as resource. You know, we are incredibly wasteful as human beings. We need to change that mindset. So you touched on it earlier in the interview, what needs to change? 
it's education and it's it's changing that mindset. And that's where Clean Up Australia is so powerful because we have those simple conversations with the community and we are about simple acts that you can do. And once you've been involved in something as simple as, as a clean up event, that changes your whole thinking. It changes what you buy. It changes what you invest in. It changes the way you think about your everyday habits. So it's an incredible, incredibly powerful, impactful thing. I guess one of the things I'm curious about is it seems like everybody knows about this problem and it's it's a very positive thing that we're aware that this rubbish is, is something that we have to deal with. But we still have it, you know? And you mentioned that it's education. Uh, it's a controversial question for you, but who do you think cares least about our environment? <laughs> it is a con- <laughs> it is a controversial conversation, and and I, look, I think, uh, I mean, we, I think if you asked anyone, no one would say they don't care. But it's about finding ways that within our own life we can make a difference and feel like it is making a difference. So you touched on the fact that, oh, if I recycle, is it actually being recycled? Do they do anything with it? So it's about, and and this is again what Clean Up Australia tries to do, it's about helping bring people on that journey and we learn through doing and it's the simple acts that we can each do, whether it's changing one thing and and making one positive change um, that I think collectively has a big impact and we often say that phrase that we don't want you know millions of people doing it perfectly we want um you know everyone doing it doing their own little bit because collectively that will have a massive impact well what i've learned is when i was growing up in ireland we always had a campaign put your rubbish in the bin and i never really thought about it but there was always rubbish like people throw you know sweet wrappers or whatever on the ground and it was just hard enough to get people to actually put it into the bin forget about recycling just literally get it into the bin and in one of the conversations that we've had recently um with with the divers there in manly he made richard made a very interesting point because he said that if something is on the ground regardless of what it is it will eventually end up in the sea it's just going to happen because it gets washed into the into the drains or whatever and i just i just found it quite interesting there was a massive push around the mid 2000s in in Ireland about um, recycling, and I got really anal about it. I remember, and a lot of my family did, and everybody really got uptight about it. And I emigrated to Australia in 2009, and I was very surprised that you know plastic bags were still a thing, and I I, I thought that like Australia. Do you think Australia is now? Like, do you think that they, they've got more, we've got more to do here? Oh, we've, yeah, we've got a lot more to do. And in many ways, we're behind Europe when you look at, um, you know, if you look at the way we package some of our products here and our reliance on single-use plastics, I think um, we can learn, we can learn from our European nations. So, yes, we have got a long way to go. We are a wasteful nation. Um, we, you know, we've got this throwaway culture where, um, you know, we just look look at the council cleanup. I'm sure you have it in your area where, you know, you can all leave your items out for the council cleanup. I mean, that just breaks my heart when I walk down the street and see what people 
throw away when there, there is no need to throw useful items away because there is a there, there's a wonderful market where you can give them away for free and it doesn't cost you to do it you know there's there's things like gumtree or you know your local groups where you can post items and just with a little bit of effort you can they can be given a new life and a new home so yes we, there's a lot we can learn a lot we can improve upon but again coming back to what we touched on earlier that there is this groundswell i mean young people really care about it look at sustainable fashion you know there's this great much greater consciousness of that that this fast fashion is creating an incredibly wasteful um, legacy where we you know much of it is synthetic it ends up in landfill um, these items are made not to last they're price really cheaply so we're encouraged to buy more and more and there's now we're seeing this swing back to um, buying vintage items buying less items buying quality buying you know natural fibers things that are meant to be repaired and last like our grandparents did my grandmother used to you know um, have the patches on the <laughs> elbows of the cardigan and you know was mending and sewing things up so there is a resurgence back to that which is wonderful to see and I, I hope we see it across other categories um, like you know furniture flat pack furniture I'd love to see that changing um, but yeah so so it's our our everyday habits can um, can can improve vastly it sounds to me like that there's a balance a yin and a yang happening you know there are changes to be made and say for example if we change um, say plastic straws and we we then bring them out as paper straws are there some circumstances where you know the change is actually is actually worse or does it does it cause more problems that we're not aware of so for example if you, if you have plastic straws then it's that bad for the environment but if you have paper straws then we cut down more trees like where's the balance in it how does the is there a balance thing that we have to get right maybe yeah you, you touch on something interesting and i think we you know a good example is where we're moving to compostable packaging so right now we've got this move away from plastic but to compostable but we haven't caught up in terms of capturing that material and processing that material so without the the food and organics bin that can capture that and it can be composted um, you know at scale those items end up in landfill so you, you know we, we do need to um, we need to think carefully about uh, the solutions we're finding uh, and making sure we're not creating a greater problem than the one we're trying to solve. But also it's this idea of reducing and avoiding waste where we can. So we, we it, and that's a change in mindset because, you know, we're marketed to constantly, we're always encouraged to buy more and spend more and, you know, the next product, the next electronic item. Uh, but, but that, and that takes, time to change but with a generation that care about the environment more than ever I believe um, I hope we can see some of that change you know e-waste is is a huge area it's the most growing waste stream and one that we're not we're not currently on top of at all what are your thoughts on the right to repair so you mentioned e-waste and a lot of the products that we have they're difficult, if not impossible, to repair. So there's a movement, we call, it's called right to repair. Yes. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, and Europe's further ahead than us in that. I, oh, look, I'm a big advocate of the right to repair. I think where we can, you know, we should be back to the idea of designing products that are made to last, that are designed so that they can be repaired and reused. And then when they absolutely have reached the end of their life, they can be recaptured and broken down and um, used to make new products. So absolutely, the longer we can keep a product in circulation, um, the better for the environment and the better for our back pocket. One more controversial question for you. Um, right now, it's kind of, it can be seen as fashionable, say, for businesses to be woke and, you know, to be, to be seen to, to, to care about the environment. But is, it, is there more to this than just keeping up appearances? Like, do businesses, and nobody in particular, but, it, and I know that the problems that we have are systematic in some ways, but is it just a case of keeping up appearances or do, do you think that businesses actually really, really care? Like, not all of them, no. And there's, you know, there's this problem of greenwashing and, and, con and that's, you know, that's something that the government uh, has said that they will be uh, cracking down on because it's very important that we don't baffle the consumer and they think they're doing the right thing when in fact it's, you know, it's not an ethical brand and they're not doing the right thing. So we're very careful who we partner with at Clean Up Australia. We, you know, we make sure that um, there are, there's a shared ethos and they actually are on a journey to, to be more sustainable and, and to um, bring about change. But I think that's, you know, that's an area where not, not everyone's intentions are good and not every um, brand that's marketing to the public is, is actually doing what they, they say they are doing. So um, it's one to be very wary of and very careful. How can ordinary people get involved? If we're talking about citizen science here, about the collection of waste and so on, like for your organization, how can we, how can the people who listen to this, um, this audio interview here or read about you, how can they get involved with what it is that you do? Oh, look, there's a number of ways to get involved and it's very easy. So you, if you're interested in taking part in a cleanup event, you can register at our website at cleanup.org.au. Whether you're a business or a school or just a member of the community, um, you can register your own site if there's an area that you're concerned about and you want cleaned up or you can join a site near you. Um, we have a number of sites um, listed on the map for Clean Up Australia Day, for instance, and you can just pick one that's um, that appeals to you that's in your local area. Uh, you can donate to the organisation that helps us continue our work. So with any donations we receive from the public, 100% of those go straight back into providing free kit materials to schools and members of the community and education materials to schools. So we do a lot of work with schools across the country. Uh, you can also, there's other fun ways to get involved. We have a plogathon, so you can join the plogathon, which is a Swedish term for walking or jogging or striding and picking up rubbish as you go. So uh, there's people are getting involved in that. We've got a leaderboard and they get people to sponsor them and raise money for Clean Up Australia while they um, pick up litter. So we've got, yeah, lots of different ways to get involved. And we also encourage people to um, get involved in our Step Up to Clean Up pledge. So you can um, write your pledge on a bit of cardboard, hold it up, take a photo and um, tag us in your post on Instagram, Facebook or wherever you like. Uh, so yeah, lots of great ways to get involved in, in the cause. I could sit here all evening listening to you talking about this. I find it fascinating and amazing. Um, 
And I'm really, really grateful that you've taken the time to have a, to take some time out of your busy schedule to have a chat with us. Um, and I just want to say thanks very much for being here and thank you. <laughs> oh, I've loved it. Thank you so much. It's funny. It, it, the conversation is completely different to what I thought it would be. I thought I'm going to be talking to these amazing scientists and they're going to ask me very hard questions I can't answer. But actually it was a human, a human story. Um, the, it's the <laughs> human behavior that we touched on, um, which I guess is life, isn't it? And it was a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.